Jesus is indeed the light in the darkness. It's hard to comprehend that, is it not? There are 7 billion people in this world right now. You take a country like Japan, of which the Summer Olympics are happening there, right? Uh, hopefully this summer. And only 1% of the people in Japan would claim to be Christ followers. A lot of times we don't think of the great need that's around the world. But as part of a local church called the Awakening Church, we are a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance movement, which is trying to knock it down in uh, 70, 80 some different countries around the world with over 700 missionaries, and that's just from the United States. But why do we have uh, missionaries? Why do we care about other countries? We got enough problems of our own right here in America. We got enough problems in our own valley. Why should we care? Because darkness is prevalent throughout the world. And darkness leads people into dark places and leads societies and cultures into dark places. And the only way for there to be a change in cultures, in our world, in our own valley, is for light to come. And light that comes does three things, as we talked about last week in this series, in the first, uh, the epistle, the first, uh, that uh, is a part of John's uh, first epistle. And that is light reveals, light measures, and light energizes. You are sitting in light. If we were to turn the lights off, you would be in darkness, and you would stumble your way out of here. Other cultures are in the same predicament. If there is not light, then they don't know where to go, what truth is to be embraced. And that light is the light of God. And so we're at it, week in and week out, whether in your family, in your local business, in uh, your neighborhood, maybe in your educational world, we are seeking to bring light because light brings life. And so I want you to pray with me as we continue our study in this first epistle that uh, the Apostle John wrote, probably the last piece of um, writing that was ever recorded in the Bibles that you and I have. John in his later years, an elder statesman, one who probably as a teenager began following Jesus Christ, and now as they look to him, and as he looks to keep the Christians aligned to the truth and the light, he writes them out of concern for what's happening in the culture of that day. This letter, the first epistle of John, is a relevant letter for all of us today in this room, in our valley, and in our world. Because our world needs the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you need that light in your life today because there's been darkness, there's been brokenness, there's been heavy concern. Today is a day for the Holy Spirit that we sang about, come and fill this place, to bring light and life to you and to your family and friends. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we do acknowledge your presence in a divine moment such as this, for you are the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, you came, you died, you rose from the grave, you ascended to the heavens, and then you sent your spirit back to dwell within those who are followers of you. And in this moment, in this hour, we ask you, Holy Spirit, 
to bring light and life to us, to our family and friends, and to our world. May we be quickened in our inner being as we look to scriptures today, to this letter written by the Apostle John, who uh, someday I look forward to seeing face to face as well. May your spirit enlighten us. May you help clear out the clutter of some fuzzy thinking that we may have, whether as a believer or as a seeker of truth this morning. May that be gone. Adversary, you have no rights whatsoever to bring darkness, cloudedness to how we think, because how we think ends up leading to how we can live. And today we do long to live in the freedom that comes from the good news of your work, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen and amen. I want to encourage us today uh, to follow along in scriptures. I know the verses sometimes are up on the screen or you can see them on live stream if you're watching from home. But I want you to be able to handle scriptures. I know sometimes it's an electronic device that we use for our scripture today. Maybe it's a physical Bible. But this is a letter just as surely as if you got something in the mail you are receiving something right now through the epistle, the first John epistle. And this letter was written to Christians. However, the letter that was written to Christians was also written to address a, a particular situation that was going on in the Christian church at the time. And that situation was, um, well, we would call it heresy. There was a movement towards things that were not true. It's not specifically excuse me, describing who um, this letter is addressing as it relates to some of the heresy, but it's believed that a large part of it was a segment of people that were Gnostics. And Gnostics were people that um, believed in some high spiritual kind of language. <coughs> excuse me. And that spiritual language, that spiritual life that was denying the physical was causing all kinds of repercussions. They didn't believe Jesus Christ actually came in bodily form which means they don't believe in the resurrection. And uh, they also did not believe in sin. And so this is being addressed as we look at this letter that's being held in your hands. <coughs> so let me start with just a couple, three verses of where we picked it up from last week. And the verse in verse 3 says this, We proclaim, who's we? John and the disciples, the followers of the Lord. We proclaim to you, what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, <coughs> and that our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So, happy day, happy day. This letter is so your joy can be complete, my joy can be complete, and that we can have fellowship with God. This message in verse 4 is that we have heard from him and we declare it to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. We, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Do those verses like ring familiar to you? Hopefully so if you were here last week. If you weren't here last week, then, well, maybe you were sleeping and you were here last week. But we talked extensively about this idea of fellowship and that darkness 
breaks our fellowship with God. But John was addressing this group of heretics who were denying that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. They were denying sin, and they were just choosing to live in their own darkness. And he's adamant that what he had seen and heard and felt and touched, the real Jesus had come. He had brought light, and he was wakening people up. He was physically here. He died. He rose from the grave. He ascended to the heavens. His spirit came back, and Jesus was continuing to build his church, and he would not allow that church to succumb to false teaching. And he did not want his church to become broken and split apart, disunified, and not have fellowship with him, God, and with one another. We transition to verse 7 in a second. But you got to have the base and the foundation of understanding. There's a difference between fellowship and the relationship. We said uh, last week in a humorous way that in the Navy they defined fellowship as two fellows on the same ship. Two fellows on the same, same ship means that you have more than just a relationship, but you have something in common. You have a partnership. You have a friendship in knocking that down. And so the fellowship that... John was concerned with for the believers and for the seekers was a fellowship that was united around the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have an affinity for a certain hobby, you would join a certain club maybe, or you would gather some friends around who had that similar kind of interest. So also, in the faith, if you have a heart, have an affinity for the things of Jesus Christ and truth, you show up at church. You gather some people around you. You have interactions and discussions when you're in small groups with your family concerning spiritual things. And you are fostering fellowship. But you can be in a family reunion and have relationships with other people, and it's awkward. If you have nothing in common, if there's division, and you're just trying to get through the holiday without causing any more problems. You have the relationship, but you don't have the fellowship. And so these two are working their way together in what he's articulating in that front part. And then he steps in to verse 7, and he says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And that's where we landed last week. That we have fellowship if we're in the light as Christian followers, and that fellowship is centered around the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We walk in the light, we have fellowship. So, where does he go to from here? Well, he keeps rolling, and he has in mind particularly this group of heretics, most likely the Gnostics, who are denying the physicality of Christ, denying the resurrection, denying that there is sin, and he wants to address them. And so he says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Anybody here want to make that claim that you are without sin? Well, 
he's writing this to Christians, right? Yes, he's writing the letter to Christians, but in that segment of people are these heretics. And he said, how can you dare say that uh, there is no sin? We're deceiving ourselves. And just like any preacher, uh, normally in a group such as this, uh, I'm very mindful that there are people who have been Christ followers for a long period of time, and then there's other people who are seeking God out or where the spiritual things at, but have never crossed the line of belief in Christ or following Christ. So uh, we want this to be a safe place to hear the dangerous message of the gospel, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's totally cool. And maybe if you're watching online, you're in one of those two categories. Are you a follower of Jesus or are you just sort of checking it out and trying to figure out where the spiritual life could go with you? And so John's doing the same thing. He's got this group of people in the church, most likely foremostly at Ephesus and other places where the letter was going to be read, where he's going back and forth and he's trying to address different crowds. And in the first chapter of 1 John, he is predominantly speaking to the Gnostic, the non-believer. And he's doing it in a very kind way. But underneath, I'm sure, especially with his age, He's quite perturbed that there would be such heresy and error going on. And he's just simply saying, if we claim. Now, he's saying the word, if we claim, and you'll see that come up a few places. If we claim, he is addressing them with what they are claiming, what they are teaching. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, Though it's written to the Gnostics, he's addressing the Gnostic. Could it also be a good verse for us as Christians? Yes. It's a good statement for us as Christians. Why? Because we like to deny our sin, especially in our culture today. We may not have this uh, cult of Gnosticism, but we live in a materialistic, naturalistic, secular world. And so we have great discussions on maybe that's a bad thing to do or that's evil when we see it on some type of news event, but we don't define it as sin. Sin is not something we like to talk about in our culture. And so this whole statement, if we claim to be without sin, America, then uh, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So let's start having some more roundtable discussions not on some of the various issues that are maybe prominent in our culture. How about having some roundtable discussions, some forums on TV news about sin? I would like that. I would probably tune back into news because I've turned it out an awful lot now because it's a lot of opinion and conjecture going back and forth on things that just sort of get you frustrated, no matter what side of the fence you're on or what you might believe that they're talking about. I'm like wanting to go higher or deeper, however you call it, I want to talk about not the things that are products of the sin. I want to talk about the sin and the evil itself, where there's darkness, where there's not light. Let's speak on those subjects. This verse, I think, is a very strong verse for all of us, whether we're Christians or seekers. If we claim to be without sin, we are deceived, and the truth is not in us. Don't you hate being suckered by somebody who speaks a lie to you and you follow that lie for a long time and then you wake up and you go, oh man, that upsets me. I should have known that, right? Is there deception happening in your life, in our nation, and in our world that we need to wake up to? John would say, if he wrote to us today, 
in 2021. Do not be deceived, saying there's no sin. The truth would not be in you. And then he makes this statement, and this is really the key verse of which I want to dialogue on today. It's a familiar verse that you might have in your mindset. In 1 John 1, 9, he says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How many of you have heard that verse before? It's a pretty common verse. Any of you got it memorized? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now the question in this verse is to the fact of who it is written to. Is it written to the non-believer or is it written to the believer? And we're going to circle back around to that. But in verse um, 10, he goes on and says, If we claim, which is what? He seems to be addressing that same Gnostic, non-believer, seeker person. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So he's writing a letter, and he says, hey, wake up. I got something to say to all of us, and we need to dial in. Don't be deceived. This is what's going on. And if you hide the fact of sin in your life or cultural sin around you, then you're being deceived. I, um, I don't know where you come from in your spiritual background, but I titled today, uh, Confessing Personal Sin. I thought maybe nobody would show up if I put that on Facebook. So thanks for coming. Uh, we have set up confessionals behind the curtains. And uh, when service is over, you can walk back there and speak to somebody and you confess your sins. Some of you come from uh, backgrounds that had confessional uh, backgrounds, uh, Catholic backgrounds. Maybe there's some other high church kind of backgrounds. And confession was a um, strong part of what you were brought up in. And um, that's sort of something I want to address today. Because I think some of the deception that we've fostered and gained in our life is deception that comes from how sin is dealt with in our personal life and in our world. And this idea of needing to confess our sins, and he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, is a powerful, powerful truth. But we need to understand the appropriation of that truth into all seasons and aspects of our life. In this series on light and life, I'm foremostly concerned about darkness that comes into our life as believers. And that darkness comes through disobedience, wandering from the faith, not enjoying the beauty and the power and the grandeur of what God's called us to. And that uh, darkness takes us out of fellowship with God. And so I find a lot of Christians today can, can sort of be uh, believers and say they have a relationship with Jesus, but they really don't have some of the deep fellowship and the joy that comes from our faith. In fact, last night I came across a TED's talk of somebody who, uh, I don't know if you're familiar what TED's talks are. They're sort of short little talks. People stand up in front of uh, corporate kind of crowds a lot of times and they articulate things. And in this TED's talk, the lady was talking about how she left the cult of evangelicalism. And I listened to what she said and she came out of a very kind of a very legalistic fundamentalist kind of belief. 
And it sort of leave, left me disheartened at the end, did a little bit of research on her, because uh, she says she didn't leave spirituality. She's still seeking, she believes maybe there's God, maybe not. But because of what she was brought up in, she was just turned from it. Her dad would take her onto uh, street corners, and they would preach, and they would uh, you know, call down the hellfire and brimstone kind of thing, some of the stereotypes that we had. And so she was a little girl trying to be all dressed up in, in her best garments and, and her pretty dress with her pretty purse and somebody came up to her when she's a little girl knelt down and said you know what one of these days you're going to grow up and you can leave all this and that's what she did she's estranged from her grandparents and spoke with them and her parents have an awkward relationship with her my heart goes out why does my heart go out Did she find the right thing when she was growing up? Or was she deceived in how things were presented to her? Now, that's not a statement I'm making about anybody that preaches the gospel in street corners. In fact, that happens throughout history. But it's the manner in which the Christian faith is articulated. Have people run from it or have they embraced it? How have you done with it? Have you run from it or have you embraced it? What was your background? What was your culture? What was your church environment you grew up in? Was it something that breathed life into you and light? Or was it something that led you astray into criticalness, a judgmental spirit, and eventually darkness? You see, the light of the gospel of God comes to bring us life and to bring us joy. And sometimes I get concerned about how we practice our religion. Came across the guy, some of you know him, Andrew Farley. His church is entitled um, The Church Without Religion. That's the title of it, like we're called The Awakening Church. Church Without Religion. Because it's about relationship, right? We're calling people into a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship with Jesus Christ needs to go beyond just the encounter and the forgiveness of sin, but into deeper fellowship and communion and joy. But in that joy and that fellowship that we start out with, sometimes it moves back into brokenness and darkness. And John doesn't want him going there. And he's dealing with a crowd that's, that's getting all kinds of crazy things spoken into their life. And maybe people walking away from the years of faith after, you know, uh, decades in the faith in the first century. And he wants to address this fact. There's some truth that we need to grab a hold of related to sin, the confession of sin, the reality how darkness can come into our life and how it can steal and snatch our joy. Warren Worsby says this, he said, sin in the life of the believer breaks fellowship, but it does not destroy sonship or the relationship. A true Christian is always accepted, even if he or she is not acceptable in what they're doing in that season of life. In other words, what Worsby is saying here is there's a difference between the fellowship and the relationship. If you have sin in your life active as a believer. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but that's why they do the confessionals, right? If you have sin active in your life as a believer, Satan, the adversary, and your own inner being 
will make you want to think you no longer have the relationship with Jesus. But you do have the relationship with Jesus. It's secure. As surely as, and some of you have adopted children. We've adopted one of our children. And, and so when you are adopted into the family of God, that relationship is secure. But there can be a loss of fellowship through sin, disobedience, and darkness. And you need to understand you're standing before God as a child of his, as a son or a daughter, does not change even though you may be living in sin and you felt guilty for even walking in the door of a church and trying to sing some worship songs today because of where you're at internally. I want you to know you have the relationship. It's secure. But I want to encourage you, as John does, to seek out the fellowship. And that fellowship is by turning from darkness into the light. He goes on, Worsby says, How does God provide for the sins of the saints or the believer? Through the heavenly ministry of Christ, we are saved from the penalty of sin by his death, and we are saved daily by the power of sin, from the power of sin by his life. Now, John, when John was, uh, was speaking these words, John is the one who wrote in his gospel about the first time Jesus showed up on the scene. Remember this? John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, was declaring who Jesus was before the whole deal started. And in John 1.29, it says, The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who does what? takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle John was very cognizant that the work of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, dealt with the sin problem. That's why we worshiped at Good Friday. One of the last words of Jesus was what? It is finished. It is finished. What? The sin debt has been paid. Jesus did something about it. Why? Because prior to that, in the Old Testament, all the way through Jewish history, you were bringing right, a lamb, a goat, some pigeons, and you were offering sacrifices and shedding blood, and that blood was for the forgiveness of sins. You were trying to confess your sins. It was a dirty, messy kind of thing. Then they put some blood on a goat that, or a sheep that would be the, the scapegoat kind of thing that would uh, run outside the city. I don't know if you ever knew that turn came from. And it was the symbolicness of the sins placed upon this animal, and the animal runs off into the wilderness. They were wrestling all the time with how do we deal with the sin problem? How do we receive forgiveness? And they would confess over and over and over again through the sacrifices. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, it was declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why the Apostle Paul he would say things like this in Ephesians concerning God's grace and the power of the change of the new covenant. In Galatians 1, 6-7 through 7 says, So we praise God for the glorious grace that He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom from the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. Just a few of the sins, the sins we committed before we came to know Jesus as our Savior and Lord, or all of our sins? Is Jesus still being sacrificed on a cross? No. What He did was once for all. And His forgiveness is once 
for all. He then would go on and say in Romans, chapter 1, verse 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending His only Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, and so He condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that Spirit nature desires, but those who live according with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it even do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot even please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God is living in you. And if the Spirit of God is living in you, then you have died your sins because of Christ in you, and He has come to live within you. Therefore, do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Paul unpacks and goes on and on in Romans about this. Why? It's the old and it's the new. It's the old and it's the new. If you are a believer in Christ, you've received His forgiveness in your life, you are no longer in your sin. You are now to choose to live in the Spirit. It is new life. And your sins are forgiven. He has separated them as far as the east is from the west. He has covered all of your sins. This is the good news of the gospel. You don't have to sacrifice the animals anymore. You didn't bring a sheep or a goat or pigeons with you in here today. We're not at walking to the back lot to be able to do a slaughtering. It's done through Jesus Christ. It's done. And you and I live in the beauty of this relationship from the new covenant. Do not live according to your sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Paul, not one time. This will, you'll find this interesting. Paul, not one time, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, did he say, confess your sins. Sure about that, Pastor? Because he didn't get you to focus on your sin. He got you to focus on your new life in Christ, of who you are in the Spirit. And it's almost like, duh, what are you doing? Why are you messing with that sin? You are a new person, freshly redeemed. Set your minds on things above. Paul was adamant that Christians dialed into their relationship, dialed into their understanding of their forgiveness, and then experienced continually fresh fellowship by living in the light of the gospel as his brother and friend and co-disciple John would articulate it in his word. And so, here we are. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Oh dear, what do I do? I really screwed up again today. Man, my mind, my mind wanders into bad places. I fall into sin all the time. What do I do? Oh my goodness, God must be really mad at me. I think he's probably got an eraser and he's ready to write my, erase my name out of the Lamb's Book of Life saying, ah, he tried, he said. Friends, this verse, I believe, is predominantly written for the non-believer. 
that does not mean that we are not to confess our sins. But in the context of this letter, this verse was written to those who did not believe in the physicality of Christ, his resurrection, that sin was a real issue. And he's saying, if we claim to be without sin, we are deceived. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. It is a gift that's given to you and to me if we cross that line of faith and believe in him. So we're going to unpack this a little bit more in a second. But let's look at the word confess. Confess in the Greek is homo logio or logos. It means simply to say the same thing and then to agree, to admit, or to acknowledge. Have you ever done that with someone else? You sort of have a, a come to Jesus kind of meeting one with another and you confess one to another. I, I never knew that. Or they knew. You are in agreement with this. Confession is foremostly coming to God and agreeing with him, agreeing with him that you're a sinner, agreeing with him that you are indifferent to him, that you have uh, been a little backwards in your faith or way too much skeptical or no faith at all. You are agreeing. You are confessing. And you're confessing your sin to the one who has forgiven you of your sin because of what he did back on the cross. And then there's this agreement. Do you think you ever surprise God? I always find that interesting in my own life when I'm hesitant to confess or agree with God about my sin. He already knows anyway. It's not like, well, I never knew you fell into that trap. Yes, I understand, Carrie. I saw that heart condition. I saw, you know, that attitude. I saw that action. When we confess before God for our sins to be forgiven, we are in agreement. And then we repent and repent. Um, metanoia means to, to change our direction, uh, to change our mind. And Jesus clearly identified the darkness in his world. And Jesus knew that at the forefront, what the need was after his work on the cross was for people to come into agreement and to confess him as Lord and the provision that he had given. Um, when we look at these kinds of um, truths, I know our minds start to go some places, and some of you maybe even already checked out. But this stuff matters. This stuff matters because Satan wants you to live in bondage. He wants you to be discouraged. He wants you to walk away from the faith or not consider the faith at all. You need to know what's in your bank account. And what's in your bank account if you're a Christ follower is your sins have been forgiven past, present, and future. The relationship is secure. Maybe what you're struggling with and you can't put a finger on it is the loss of fellowship. And that's readily identifiable. We have it in our human relationships, one with another. He goes on and he says this in 1 John. He switches then and he begins to speak to the believer. 1 John 2, he says this, My dear children. Now, who are the dear children? The Gnostics, the heretics, the non-believers, or those who are followers? He's changing and addressing his crowd in chapter 2. 
My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, you need to get in a confessional booth and you need to enumerate every stinking one of those sins you did this last week. And then you got to go do penance for it. I'm sorry. No. He directs them back to their relationship with the Lord and what the Lord did. But if anyone does sin, remember, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And that advocate says, I've got it. I covered it all. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, including Japan. That's what he did. And this is the acknowledgement that John puts forward is to get them to focus on the finished work of the cross for their forgiveness of sins. You and I need to know this, that when we go to the Lord to confess our sin, because we're interested in the fellowship being retained, we're in agreement. Yes, I've been hiding. This is where it is. God, you've known it all along. But I don't have to like re-up the ante and do something more. We don't have to have you come back to earth and die again. Your blood atoned for all the sins. I am now confessing so that I can have restored fellowship. And I just want you to forgive me of my sins. Again. And again. And again, and Jesus would say, I've got it. It's sort of like, I probably should ask my wife's permission before I bring this illustration up. I remember in our early, just getting to know one another days back in college. Actually, she'll tell you all the bad stories because I was a little awkward back then. I was seven years older. I was a college and career pastor. She was a freshman in college. That's when we first met. I remember having a very serious conversation with her at a dinner table in the dining commons of the college she attended, and I brought something up. She looked at me, and just to stay clear from the whole subject matter, she just simply said to me, I know, please stop, we're done. We didn't talk for a significant period of time after that. It hurt me because I felt I was just trying to be forthright in some things, and God was working in her life through some challenges, but she just didn't want to hear it, especially from me, right, the college and career pastor at that time. And so we had no conversation. I get a phone call. I remember in the upstairs of my mother's house, I could take you to the exact location, and she called, and I'm sorry, I was sometimes a jerk, that kind of thing, thought I was being cute, being coy. She confessed to me, that she was sorry and wrong for that interaction and something she was trying to, you know, not let God deal with in her life at that time. And she said, will you forgive me, Carrie? And I said, no. How cool is that? No. I knew it'd get a reaction. Why? Because I was a jerk. <laughs> that was my wife. I said, no, I can't forgive you because I already have. Now, there was truth into that. God had worked a work in my life as he was working a work in her life. That was one of the many on-again, off-again things that we dated for five years. And then finally, you know, uh, 
she decided she could live without me, and I decided I couldn't live without her, and God, in a weird way, brought us together, and we've been happily married for 30 years. But, see, that statement still haunts me after all these years that I did that. <laughs> in this scenario, when we are seeking forgiveness of God, it's almost like that, where God would say, I can't forgive you again because I've already forgiven you, past, present, and future. The letter that John has penned here was written some 50 years after the death of Jesus Christ. If the Apostle Paul didn't articulate you needed to confess your sins to stay in relationship with God, then uh, what were they doing for those 50 years? But here he's trying to say, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins. The verse is not prominently written to believers, though you can understand the confessional part. It's written to those who are non-believers so that they could have the righteousness of Christ into their life. But as Christians, we confess we're in agreement for the sake of fellowship, not the relationship. And so when you go to Jesus and you confess your sins, and by the way, it is impossible to confess all your sins. Have you thought about that? It's said that Martin Luther, who movement of process, he would spend four hours in the confessional booth trying to confess all of his sins. And finally, the priest would say, Martin Luther, would you go out and do some serious sins so you can come in and confess? Because there was this idea that he would think, oh, just that thought and that thought. When you focus on the confession of sin, it causes you to be sinful, to focus on acts of sin or attitudes of sin. Paul and John is saying focus on the light of being in the Spirit, and that will lead you into a dynamic relationship that's a fellowship that will keep you from sin. I don't want to sin because I don't want to hurt other people. I don't want to hurt my own life. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And our sin does grieve the Holy Spirit. I focus on Christ and what He's done for me. And because He's done that, I choose to live in the light. And in living in the light, I live in the fellowship. Romans 10, 9 says this, If we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and say is saved. Who is Paul? Here's Paul, right? He's using the word confess. It's written to who? The non-believer. So the non-believer confesses and believes. They are saved. And if you're on that side of the line of faith today, this is a verse for you that's powerful. Today, you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from today, the grave, and you can be saved. Confession is part of salvation. But... When it comes to confessing personal sin on the other side of salvation, I make this statement to you. Before we are Christians, we confess so that we can be forgiven. After we are Christians, we confess because we are forgiven. I'm in agreement. God, you're right. And that can help restore then what? The fellowship. Our sin leads to walking in the darkness and not in the light of God. We retain our relationship with God, but we begin to lose fellowship with God. Confessing our sin as believers helps us walk in the light of God and in fellowship with His Son and in fellowship with one another. 
Remember what it said here in, in uh, that verse prior related to uh, the blood of Jesus Christ will purify us from all of our sins. And I mentioned last week, it's the idea if you walked into a very soot-filled environment or uh, outdoors and something happened, your whole body would be covered with soot except for two places, your eyes. Why? The tear ducts are continually clearing your eyes. The blood of Jesus Christ is continually cleansing you from your sin, past, present, and future. Oh my gosh, how does he do that? He does it because he loves you. And he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And that Jesus lives within you. His spirit lives within you. And his spirit is continually cleansing you from sin as a believer. That doesn't mean you go in sin anymore. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 6, what do we say then? So we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live it in any longer? Hello, where are you at? What are you doing? You're a follower of Jesus. Don't participate in that sin. But when it comes to your relationship standing with God, you're purified, you're cleansed from all unrighteousness because of that one final work of Jesus Christ and you applied that to your life when His Spirit came to live within you as a Christian. But the fellowship's a little bit different factor. That fellowship requires confession of sin. So believers, confess your sin to the Lord. He says, I know, I've got it, it's covered. Let's walk together again. And the fellowship one with another. Is fellowship broken? Is there unconfessed sin with God in your life? There's no confessional booth set up here. There's one high priest, Jesus. You go directly to him. Not with any works, but with simple, humble, repentant desire to obey and follow him. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Is there unconfessed sin in your life? If you're a non-believer this morning, his arms are wide open. Would you consider giving your life to him? Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave and you shall be saved. As we close, there's a place over here designated as a prayer area. There'd be someone who'd love to pray with you. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're online today, you can just email, contact the church, respond somehow. We'd be more than glad to help you walk through an understanding and to pray with you to be a follower of Jesus. But maybe it's not unconfessed sin with God that you're wrestling with. Maybe it's unconfessed sin with another person. You see the fellowship in the body is broken when there's sin. And God grieves on that too. My last verse. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's embedded in this context to pray for healing, physical healing of people. But there's also healing of emotions, healing of relationships. Confess your sin one to another. Your faults. It's hard. Conflict's not easy. But is there somebody you need to confess your sin to, your faults, so that you can be healed and they can be healed? This week, my wife and I were blessed with some friends that came to visit us. 
friends that used to be on staff with us in a prior ministry. It was actually sort of the bookend to COVID because the last time we met with them was in a restaurant, physically eating in a restaurant the day when COVID really started slamming everything shut. So I thought it was appropriate that we sort of ate together and talked in our home this week. As the hour evenings got on a little bit, we got a little bit more raw and transparent with one another with what was going on in our own hearts and souls. You see, our relationship had become broken because of the prior situation and the prior church situation that we were part of. I had seen fellowship restored in a lot of ways, but uh, my wife had not had some of that opportunity as much. And we ended up sharing together. And I tell you what happens. When you get real as Christian believers and you're willing to confess, come into agreement, with the wrong that was done, how each of us were, have you know, participated in that wrong. We confess our sins one to another. There's healing in the fellowship. It's hard, but if God's speaking to you this morning, take the step, confess your sins to others, and seek the healing that God can bring through the finished work of the cross. Brothers and sisters, we're to live in harmony. We may not be in all agreement on everything and we're made different, but there needs to be unity in the fellowship of the body of Christ. And it's up to us to take the blood that was shed on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sins. He who's received much, much is required from him. We need to give. Freely you've received, freely give. The restoration of the fellowship with God and the restoration of fellowship with brothers and sisters in the faith. Take that word, apply it as the Spirit leads, and act on it this week. If you need to pray with someone concerning confession of sin to come to know the Lord, or maybe there's confession of sin to be able to just pray with someone else for the healing of division and sin in your own life because you're on a road of darkness today, I encourage you to come and pray with someone up over in the prayer area. We want to be here to help you. Not that we forgive sins, Jesus does, and he's forgiven them if you've come underneath his cleansing blood. Amen. Jesus, today, may your spirit apply the words from 1 John, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you for the unrighteousness that we've been forgiven of if we've come into a relationship with you by accepting you as our Lord and Savior. And Lord, we thank you for the righteousness that is from you by your life that dwells within us, even if we've fallen in sin this week. May we acknowledge it. May we be in agreement with you. May we turn from it. And may we walk out of here today freshly covered with the robe of your righteousness for a new day, a new week, a new opportunity to shine your light into the darkness of our world. Bless us, Lord, as we go. In your name, amen. See you next week.